Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your holy word together tonight. And knowing that it's spiritually discerned and not just intellectually learned, we ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide, to give us ears that are anointed to hear, hearts that are anointed to receive, and minds that are anointed to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. And most importantly, Father, change us by what we hear from glory to glory, that we might conform to the very image of Jesus and walk as doers of the word and not hearers only letting our light shine among men that they might see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven, and that we might hold forth the word of life to this generation, reaching the hearts and lives of those that are in our circle of life. And so, Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have to live at this hour. Be glorified in all that is taught and said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Have you heard the expression that the devil can steal your joy? He can take your goods. It's true. And for that reason, he tries effortlessly to get us to be down, oppressed, discouraged, frustrated, and so on. Well, we're aware of all the tactics, tactics and strategies of the enemy, are we not? And we want to see to it that we have a joy about us that's unspeakable and full of what? Full of glory. Isn't that great to walk in the glory of God? Amen. I want to talk about our need for joy. In the book of Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, we're going to read some verses here. 5 and verse 17. Here we have a sign and a wonder that you would think would be properly and favorably responded to by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Jews. But you're going to see that as we read this, they weren't. They didn't. They weren't impressed whatsoever with regard to this sign and wonder and miracle that took place in the lives of the apostles. Then the high priest rose up with all they that were with him. This was right after Peter's shadow got all those people healed in Acts chapter 5. Remember that story? Okay, which is the seat of the Sadducees and were filled with indignation. All these healings that just took place, all these miracles that took place right there before their eyes, and they are filled with indignation. And lay their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Excuse me, some fuzz. And when they had heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came. And they that were with him and called the council together. And all the senate of the children of Israel and sent into the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. And the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. 
Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then when the captain with the officers and br brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in, his, in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Well, a mighty miracle takes place right before their very eyes. They're in prison for the miracles that took place among the people. And they're waiting, of course, probably to do some damage to their lives. But what happens is an angel of the Lord comes down. It doesn't really state exactly how the prison doors were open without them seeing it. I have some thoughts in my mind how it could have happened. At first I thought, well, maybe they were translocated from the prison over to the temple. But it says that they opened the doors. So could it be the, the appearance or the presence of the angels that appeared before them? since they opened the doors, probably caused them to be, stand like statues and not be able to know anything, see anything, hear anything, do anything. Because they were dumbfounded to find out when they opened up the prison doors that they weren't in there. But however it took place, was it not a sign? Was it not a wonder? Was it not a mighty manifestation of the power of God to take them from the prison and move them over to the temple and yet no one saw them, no one heard them? They didn't see any doors ajar or anything of that nature. Everything was intact the way it was supposed to be. Imagine that. A mighty miracle takes place. Well, now they're concerned because you see what's happening here is these people are drawn to them because of the message and because of the miracles. And so now they begin to do what? Threaten them once again and say, don't you teach, don't you preach. We told you not to do that. And of course, Peter says, well, look, we're going to obey God rather than men. Well, they get infuriated, and then in the next so many verses, up to verse 40 or whatever, 39, somewhere around there, what we, what we see is that a man by the name of Gamaliel, Gamaliel, he is someone that's highly respected among the people. They said, look, there were other people like Jesus that came along. This fellow came along, and that thing it took off for maybe a little bit. It phased out. It died out. It didn't go any further. Then another one came along, said he was somebody special, caught fire maybe for a little bit. It faded out, it died out. Hmm, that was it. It was over. If this is the same as those, it will die out. It'll be over. So forget about it. But if it is of God, and God's behind this, Jesus, who do you think you are to fight God? You're not going to stop God from doing what he wants to do and getting done what he wants done in the earth. It's not going to happen. And they agreed to him and said, absolutely, you're right. We understand you're absolutely right. So, okay. But then look at verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles, they fed them donuts and coffee, pizza, no, they beat, had beaten them. Now, you understand when you read that, it's easy to read it, isn't it? It means they put 39 lashes on their backs. Imagine that. 
See, these, this, this was the custom of the Jews. They beat them 39 stripes on their backs and said, don't you go teach and preach in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council so sad and so dejected and so oppressed. No? How would you react to such a beating? How would I react to such a beating? No, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. This makes no sense. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, you talk about defying what they said to do, not to do. And in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. Now, that is powerful. Here we have these Sadducees, Pharisees, etc., these Jewish leaders witness a miraculous thing take place before their eyes that they cannot explain, but it's almost as if this sign and wonder never even occurred. They didn't regard it whatsoever. They were just more concerned about recapturing them and putting back into prison and doing something terrible to them, which, of course, they beat them. But why am I bringing this out? Because, you know, signs and wonders are designed to do certain things. Obviously, to get people to believe. And it didn't work for these people. They completely ignored it. But also to empower the apostles to let them know that God is on your side. And as he said, he would never leave you nor forsake you. He will be there for you. He showed himself to be strong on their behalf. Can you imagine being the one that was in the prison? Now, remember, when Peter was released from prison, the shackles fell down and all that. When Paul was in prison, same thing. The doors were open and everything. But here, a mighty miracle takes place, and they give it no regard whatsoever. You would think they would bow their knee and just say, hey, I want to know more now. Okay, I understand we rejected Jesus. I understand we crucified him, had him crucified and all that. But I really want to know what's going on because... No one can do this. You have to see the prison to understand this. No one can escape a prison like that unless they were translocated or, as I said, the power of God was in such manifestation they were as dead people, didn't see, didn't hear, whatever. And they just let them out and then shut the doors and they were back in. I want to talk to us about the need for us to maintain an attitude of joy even when we're facing difficult situations in our Christian walk and experience. Because if we truly want to have the power and the glory of God manifested in our lives, then we've got to cooperate with God. And we've got to manifest a spirit of joy and thanksgiving at all times. And especially in the difficult places or the hard places of life, when we are tempted to have a sad countenance, tempted to be overwhelmed by frustrations that we encounter in this life, God wants us to renew our minds you see when we read that scripture that says in romans chapter 12 verse 2 be renewed in the spirit of your mind be renewed the way you think you know we think okay we're learning the word of god but we have to re-teach ourselves how to think how to respond how to react in the difficult places that we encounter in life and so we want to do something about helping each of us do that in our lives I want to share with you some perspectives about joy before we get into some other detail. But look at here in John's Gospel, chapter 16. This is 
Jesus' perspective on joy. Joy is something that's within the heart of a man. It's not external, it's internal. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, and here's the example or the illustration. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish. And now for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye know, therefore, ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy shall no man take from you. So let's put it in perspective here. Jesus is saying, look, the world is going to rejoice when I die. When I'm crucified, I'm dead, I'm buried in the tomb. The world is going to rejoice, especially the people that were wanting him to be put to death. And you, because you love me, you're going to have sorrow in your heart. But I want you to know this. There's coming a resurrection. And when the resurrection comes, you are going to have a joy in you that the world cannot take away. My resurrection will be your source of joy. And every time you need, let's just say, a good shot of joy, just remember what I did for you when I was raised from the dead. Remember he said, or Hebrews writer said, the joy that was set before him enabled him to go through what he went through. The joy that was set before him was the life of every individual person that would come to him that produced within him a joy which was a strength for him to go through the suffering that he went through so that when he arose from the dead, he would take his joy and place it in each and every one of our lives so that you and I would experience the joy that he walked in when he was on the earth. Well, praise God, you've got it in you, and so do I. We've got a joy in us that's unspeakable and full of what? Full of the glory of Almighty God. And then secondly, look at um, John 17 and verse 13. Now come I to thee. He's, this is his high priestly prayer. He is praying to the Father before he leaves to go back to heaven. And he says, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves i believe in the power of confession and confessing the word of god so let's say it together tonight i have jesus's joy in my heart i've got the joy of the lord in me that's a fact whether we ever act on it whether we ever know it whether we ever yield to it each and every one of us here tonight, we've got the joy of the Lord in us. He already gave us his joy. Remember when we got saved, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. We've got the joy of the Lord. I've got the joy of the Lord. You've got the joy of the Lord. When the enemy tries to steal that joy through fear, perplexity, through anxiety, worry, or whatever, there's something we have to do to draw from the joy of of the Lord that's within us to overcome the challenge of the enemy. Okay, next, number two, Paul, the apostle. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and the book of Philippians is his most joyful book. 
it's called his most joyful book and he's writing it from prison he had many visits to prison not to visit someone else but to be shackled himself all right so here he is in prison he's writing to the church of philippi where did the church of philippi start from a prison when of, of course paul and silas prayed you know the story everyone's shackles were loosed a church was started there in philippi and now he is right there in philippi and where, what's going on he's in prison he rejoices in the lord and he says to us to everyone rejoice in the lord sometimes no rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice so he is communicating to the people while he is in prison and who knows what he's facing or what he's possibly going to suffer in the days after he writes this but it's called his most joyful book and he says to each and every one rejoice at all times there is value to it there's importance to it and you'll see some results in your life if you will but rise up above whatever feeling you might have and call upon the joy of the lord to be your strength okay also first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 we see paul once again speaking to the church here two simple words giving instructional teaching rejoice how often evermore you know christians should be the most joyful people on the planet we should rejoice from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same because we serve the living god because he's living on the inside of us because he made a deposit of his joy within our hearts within our lives and no matter what we encounter in this life we can rise up and let the joy of the lord take over the situation so as to do what overcome the feelings or the emotions of sadness, frustration, oppression, etc. Number three, look at it from James's perspective. And this is the one I really embrace. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when all is going well in life. No, he says, count it all joy or holy delight when, when you fall into diverse temptations, trials, tribulations and temptations that are coming our way that we can fall victim to because of the enemy always setting snares for us to fall into so in other words whatever life throws our way whatever life brings our way whatever the enemy has for us to overcome us james says count it all joy command joy in the situation and why does he say that because it's not going to be a natural thing for us to do we're not going to be joyful in a difficult situation unless we on purpose with an understanding heart and mind choose to call it all joy. And the word call is a, is a Greek word that's like a commander's word speaking, let's say, in, in the army. An army sergeant giving a command saying, I command joy in this situation. Of course, David said, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's instructing his feelings, his emotions, his thoughts to line up with what? The word of God, not with what they want to dictate to his life. So he says, bless the Lord, all my soul, everything within me, all the energy of my being and spirit and soul and body cry out with joy unto the Lord and bless his holy name because he forgives every sin. He heals every disease and the list goes on and on of all the benefits that we have in the Lord. So here we have um, James telling us, look, count it all joy. Command joy in the situation. Be like David was and others like Paul was when he was in prison. Command joy. The disciples that were the apostles earlier, they rejoiced because they were 
worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a different mindset than what people have today, wouldn't you say? What a completely different mindset. They rejoiced. Next one is Peter. And Peter was there in prison. And here Peter says, and this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, instead, what? Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good deal. Rather than me being oppressed down and out and troubled, even though the circumstances are huge and enormous, but is there any circumstance that's bigger than your God, than my God? Absolutely not. He says rejoice. Remember to rejoice. And remember, he was in prison. He was whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times on his back. He left there rejoicing rather than crying, murmuring, complaining, and uh, wondering why he was such a victim when he was serving God. What are all these writers trying to teach us? What are they trying to tell us? That, look, the enemy wants to come and steal your joy. And if he can steal your joy, he'll stop you from experiencing the fullness of the glory of God that God wants to impart to your life. So be aware of his strategies, his wiles, his fiery darts that he's going to send your way. And don't be victimized by feelings and thoughts and emotions that will get you downhearted and downtrodden. If you recall when God told Joshua to take over the leadership of Israel, he said, don't be discouraged. Fear not. Be of great courage because I, the Lord, your God, I'm with you wherever you go. So imagine if God was showing them that he's with them everywhere they go and that he would do what was necessary to bring them out of the situation into a realm of success. Well, beloved, he's no different today for us. He's the same today, yesterday, forever, and always. Tomorrow will always be the same. And so, praise God, we can count on him to do for us what he did for them. But Peter, of course, being in prison, understood what he was talking about. Because Peter knew the power there was in joyfully praising and thanking God in the midst of a difficult situation. He experienced it. And so if we want the spirit of glory to rest upon us, we'll learn to do the same thing. So creating an environment of joy in our lives. Joy is an internal manifestation, not an external one. Happiness is from without. It's based on circumstances. But joy is internal. It's from within. It's based on a revelation of the word of God, the knowledge of God, and also really the promises of God. So God has revealed certain things to us so that we can feed upon those things and produce what, what in our hearts? Joy. But if we're going by circumstances that are external, then what happens is we're going to just basically be like the weather. If the weather is sunshiny and bright, we're going to be happy. If it's dismal and rainy, we're going to be sad. We don't want to be fickle like the weather. 
We want to be constant, consistent in our walk with the Lord. And no matter what we encounter in this life, we want to have the glory of God rest upon us so that we can experience, let's say, even God's hand of deliverance and victory in every area of our lives. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, we refer back to that same uh, book that Paul wrote from prison. Look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And uh, look at what he says. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength, who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I don't live dependent on circumstances. I'm not moved by feelings and emotions. I have learned to live my life based on what's happening on the inside and not what's happening on the outside. I live a life independent of the circumstances. If I have lack, I know my God supplies all my need. If I have plenty, I know to be grateful for what I have. So it doesn't matter. I know that if I have need of something, my God will provide it. If I don't have need for that, that's fine. I'm thankful for it, and I praise him for what I have. And so Paul was basically outlining for us a lifestyle that would see to it that we're not governed by circumstances. Uh, Paul, do you have that in the NIV version of the Bible? Let's throw that up there if you can find that real quick because it says it a little bit different way. But Paul was well aware of the need for him to maintain a spirit of joy. We can't even relate to going back there and living the way they were living. We can't imagine what it was like. Anywhere you go, you could be cast into prison, thrown in jail, like he was in the innermost prison in stocks and bonds, bound up. We can't imagine what it is not to be able to come to church like this and just worship together without the threat of being stoned. We can't even begin to relate to that. I think we're learning a little bit about that today when we see our brothers and sisters around the world being destroyed, being killed and, and all that, beheaded and everything for their faith. There was a quality about these individuals that you and I probably have a difficult time understanding. They could stand joyfully before, let's say, a lion that would come and knowing going to tear them to shreds right there in the Roman Colosseum. They could face a burning at the stake with a joy that transcends anything that you can imagine. And they didn't squawk at it at all, didn't complain. Why? They understood an attitude of joy meant for them. That God would manifest himself. And I heard this in many ways. And I heard this of one that was actually dying. Uh, burning at the stake. And the ones that knew this individual. And they were right there with the person that was dying. Said if the grace of God is sufficient for you. When they light you on fire. You know raise your hand and let us know or wave it. And you know what's amazing. This person was set ablaze on fire. And just waving as if nothing was ever happening to that individual person there was a need we have to understand for god to have people die martyrs deaths for him to let people know that 
He's worthy of a life to be sacrificed. He's worthy of it. And so that's why the, the ones that died, died the martyr's death. But then you've got a John who didn't die a martyr's death, who they tried to kill and boil in oil, but they couldn't take his life because God preserved his life. So in other words, he was showing them both sides of the spectrum. Serving him is, means one's willing to die for, for the cause of Christ. But if he wanted to, he could preserve every person alive if they tried to kill him. Let's read that scripture. NIV version of Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Notice that. In any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or want. I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank God that he could pass that on to others, not just because he's teaching it from some kind of a lesson book. He is teaching it firsthand from his own heart. I have lived this, and it doesn't matter what road you find me on. I am well content that the God I serve is well able to take care of me. Now, number one, joy. How are we going to create an atmosphere of joy in our lives? Well, let's look at some of these ways. First, first of all, First John, it's, it's found in the Word of God. Notice here, John is writing, and here's what he says. If we want to create an atmosphere of joy in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own homes, these things write I unto you. Notice the word write. These things write I unto you. Why? That your joy may be full. So first of all, and foremost, we're going to find joy in the Scriptures. We're going to find joy in knowing the truth. So he says to them, I'm writing this to you to let you know. Isn't it a joyful thing to know that your sins are forgiven you? Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that if you sin, he can still cleanse you by the blood of the lamb? Isn't it a wonderful joy to know that he's your propitiation for your sins and the sins of the whole world? Isn't it wonderful to know you can ask, he goes on to say in that same uh, third chapter, anything in his name and he will do it. Or in chapter 5, when he, he talks about, if you ask, ask anything according to the will of the Father, he will do it. If you know he heard you, you have it. He was writing to let them know that you find joy in the Scriptures. And that's the first place that we've got to go to find this joy. Thank God as we read the Word of God, think about some of the situation that took place. Think about when they came out of Egypt and they got over to the Red Sea and crossed over. Looked back and they saw all the, all the Egyptians killed and the enemy was gone. What took place on the other side when Miriam got out of her temple? What did she begin to do? Oh, they began to sing and praise and rejoice and just thank God for the victory that they had. There was joy. And when you and I read that, what does it do to us? Does it not remind us that we are not alone in this life? Does it not remind us that God will defend us and fight for us as well? And that no matter how difficult the situation might be, a Red Sea in front of you, two mountains beside you, and then the army behind you, no time to build a boat, no time to build a plane, no time to build a bridge. But praise God, all you've got to do is lift up the word, lift up the rod and strike. Praise, just set it forth and part the Red Sea. What's he saying to us? You've got the word, put it in your heart, put it in your mouth. It'll create within you a joy of knowing, praise God, that God is on your side and he will fight for you. He will defend you. He will go before you. He'll protect you and keep you. 
You recall Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they said, we're, we're not going to bend, we're not going to bow, we're not going to burn. Go ahead, throw us in the, in the furnace. Because they knew. How did they know? They knew the scriptures. They knew their God said to them that when you're in the fire, you will not be burned. For I will deliver you and there won't be the smell of smoke upon you. And what happened? It became a reality in their lives. And so there's many things that are listed here that if we read them over and over and over again, they're designed to produce a joy within us, a joy of knowing what the scriptures teach. Praise God that you're not alone in this life. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone in this life. He has promised promises that he will fulfill in honor if we'll just start doing what? Praising him joyfully for the answer and for being our God. Number two, we find it in also joy and sorrow. Notice this. Here we have the joy of salvation. And of course, Peter, once again, is, is the, the one that really talked about this. Look at First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Here we have Peter talking about you're going through fried trials right now, and it seems like as though that you're coming, you're being, you're, they're coming against you from every angle. But you may not have seen Jesus, but you love Jesus. In whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even what? The salvation of your souls you know many of these martyrs oh i'm telling you they gladly gave their lives they gladly laid down their lives the joy of their salvation flooded their souls and there was nothing that could take it away from them god wants us to have that same kind of fervor that same kind of desire as we serve him and live for him and honor him the same kind of an attitude i've got a joy unspeakable and full of glory do you know what people of the world around us should see joy within our hearts and lives they should see us so overflowing with joy that they should come up to us and ask us, what makes you so joyful? We should be different in the workplace, different in the store, different everywhere we go. We should have an answer to the people when they look at our lives and just say, I don't understand it. I know you're going through the same thing I'm going through. So the question is, are we a complainer? Every time we have something go wrong, we complain and we're known for being complainers. Or are we those that are like these others that have a joy unspeakable and full of glory, if anything, based on one thing, which is what? Your salvation. I'll tell you what. You know that you're saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know you're on your way to glory. You and I should have a joy in our hearts, a spring in our steps. We should have victory in our voice. We should shout it from the mountaintops. It doesn't matter what comes our way, praise God. In a heartbeat, we could be out of here. It doesn't matter. And if he isn't here in a heartbeat, he'll fight for us. He'll defend us. He will help us. That's the joy of our salvation. And then also, uh, look in the book of Acts, chapter 8 and verse 8. Here, Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. He preaches Christ to them. The people give heed to the things that he said, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. Unclean spirits coming out with loud voice, crying out. And, and those that were sick and lame with the palsy were healed. And, and there was in verse 8, there was great what? Joy in that city. When God's saving grace showed up there in Samaria, I'm telling you, you could not hold the joy down. There was a joy that was bubbling over when God's saving grace came and set the captives free. And there was a revival that took place there in Samaria because Philip went down there with a joyful heart and said, look, the joy I have, I want to give to you as well. And he preached Jesus and the miracles took place. 
There was joy because of God's salvation. And you and I should have the same kind of attitude of joy because we're saved by the grace of Almighty God. And then also in John 16, uh, notice this, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15. And this one should be very impacting to all of us. We're creating an atmosphere of joy, an attitude of joy within our hearts and lives. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does he not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he had found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Joy is so far-reaching. When one person gets saved, it is a joy that rises up in the heart of that person, but it reaches the very throne of Almighty God. All of heaven rejoices over one person getting saved. The lost coin that's found, there is joy. The lost sheep that is found, there is joy. A sinner gets saved, there is joy. God wants us to really recognize that we should be walking in the joy of our salvation. Praise God when someone says to me, but I have nothing to be joyful about. Are you saved? Then you know what? It's time to start practicing joy, the joy of your salvation, and start shouting the praise of God for saving you by His grace and delivering you from a faithful, think about it, death of eternity in the lake of fire. I don't want to think about going to that place, but we've been delivered from it. And you know what? It'll begin to do what? Spark joy in all the areas, other areas of our lives. I'm not going to be down and out because I'm saved. Washing the blood on my way to glory. Should Jesus come this moment, I'm out of here. Praise God. What about you? Aren't you glad to know that? Amen. So, but the devil comes along with all the different situations, trials, tribulations that he throws our way. Why? To steal our joy so that we look like everybody else, common people, everybody else with their head down in the dump, fearful of this, afraid of that, and everything else. No, we should have a spring in our step, a joy in our heart, a voice of victory as we thank God for being the glory and the lifter of our heads. As a matter of fact, remember the psalmist said way back in the Psalms, beginning for our third Psalm, I think it is. Remember David said, people say to you, say to me, there's no help for you in God. So in other words, why are you serving him? There's no help for you. He said, but thou, O Lord, you are a shield to me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. When my head gets heavy through trial, tribulation, and circumstance that comes against me and the enemies putting thoughts into my mind, telling me there's no help for you in God, there's no hope for you in God, why are you trusting God for this, why are you trusting God for that, put a stop to it in a heartbeat and declare like David did, glory to God, but I'm saying thou, O Lord, you are a shield for me, you're the glory and the lifter of my head. When I, my enemy comes round about me to destroy me, I know that you will show up on the scene and show yourself strong. I know that. Beloved, there's something about that kind of faith that God wants us to, to demonstrate. Why? Like a David who stood before a Goliath when all the other men were in fear, but this young boy comes before the giant Goliath, and what does he say? The God that I serve will deliver you into my hands, and this day you're going down. And that's exactly what he spoke from his heart of faith, because he knew his God would deliver him in his time of trouble. And God wants us to be the same way. But how is he going to do it? He didn't do it for all the other Israeli people in the army. Why not? They had no joy. 
They had no revelation of the word. They had no knowledge that God would manifest his glory and show himself strong if they would just stand up to the enemy. The enemy doesn't want us to stand up to him because he knows he's a defeated foe. But when you and I know who we are, and the scripture says, remember Paul said, look, put up a solid front. You knowing that the enemy cannot defeat you, to him you will intimidate him. Don't be intimidated by your enemy. You be the intimidating one. You be the one to tell him, I know who I am. I know what I have and I know what my God will do for me. I've got a joy in my heart that's unspeakable because I know he'll step up. He will stand up and he will defend me and raise up a standard against all that you throw my way. So I'm believing, praise God, for my God to be the strength of my life. Next, uh, notice this, uh, in sorrow. We can have joy in sorrow. Now, this sounds ridiculous, does it not? What's it sound like to you, an oxymoron? Joy in sorrow? What sense does that make? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul was talking about his trials and tribulations. He was talking about how the enemy threw everything, including, let's say, the kitchen sink at him. All the trials that were coming his way, stirring up people round about to attack him from every direction, beating him with rods, leaving him out in the sea, hungry, in perils of swords, etc., etc. All the whippings, all the beatings. Yeah, sorrow surrounded me, he says, but yet always rejoicing. He was always rejoicing in the midst of sorrow. So when the feeling or the emotion of sorrow came upon him, what did he, what did he do? Rejoiced. And as a result, of course, we know he was brought to victory. And then look also in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. We see basically the same thing reiterated. God is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our, what? Tribulation. I'm exceeding joyful. It's almost as if he is saying, that's how you feed your faith. Whenever you find yourself in a difficult situation, if you will command joy in the situation, then the trying of your faith will work patience. Patience will have a perfect work. You'll be perfect and entire wanting nothing. So in other words, we are to view trials, tribulations, and situations, uh, circumstances that are adverse as what? Something to feed on. Remember Joshua said, in the time of Joshua and Caleb, when they were before the promised land with uh, Moses, what did Joshua say? They are bread for us. The enemy is bread for us to feed on. Every experience that we encounter, that's, let's say, an adverse circumstance, if we will but act upon the word of God, we will feed on that circumstance. And what will it do? It'll build up our faith and our confidence and our ability to reach God. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. In my tribulation, what do I do? I rejoice. And did it not prove to be true that that's exactly what he did? It is. Because he walked in joy. But then also look at John 16 and verse 33. Because Jesus never said we wouldn't have challenges or difficult situations taking place. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer in the world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer in the midst of tribulation be of good cheer now, now the natural thing to do is when we're in a situation of tribulation is to flow with our feelings and emotions i feel down i feel depressed i feel out 
Beloved, I believe we can save people a lot of money. You won't have to go to all kinds of psychiatrists to try to get your help. If we go right to the Word of God and do exactly what He said to do. Why are you downtrodden? Why, what did um, David say also in Psalm what, 41, 42? What did he say about his countenance? Oh, my countenance, why are you fallen? Why are you so troubled within me? Hope in the Lord, for He is the help of my countenance. He is the hope of my countenance. David made a practice of speaking to himself. He made a practice of speaking to his emotions. You know, the Bible says if you want joy, you've got to shout for it. If you want joy, you've got to leap for it. Why? We've got to leap outside of our own feelings and emotions. Because we don't naturally leap for joy when we're challenged in life. But if we will train ourselves to do so, if we will teach ourselves to do so with the understanding or the knowledge that we activate the power of God, we activate the glory of God, what a difference that will make in our lives. We'll begin to grow and develop in that area. Um, next, joy in winning souls. Look at Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Joy in winning souls. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You want to get on the joy path, on the joy train? Lead someone to Jesus. Tell someone about Jesus. Pray for someone that's sick and watch them get healed. I'm telling you, if you'll start doing that, if I'll start doing that on a more regular basis, you're creating an atmosphere of joy for your life. It's a joy to see other people blessed by the power of God as you minister the love of God to them. You're creating this atmosphere. Praise God. Yes, you might weep through the night. In other words, you are mourning. You are crying out. Before you go to bed at night, you're crying out to God. I want to be used to save the lost, to set the captives free. A mourning for the lost condition of the world. Mourning for the lost condition of your loved ones, your family members, and your friends. But then, praise God, you arise and you go forth with the power of the name of Jesus. And you bring them the truth of the word of God. You see them delivered and set free. And what does it do? I don't know about you. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And when you go and be a blessing to somebody like that, it creates within you just a joy that you cannot hold down. Okay, and then also, joy in service. Look at Isaiah 65 and verse 14. There's joy in serving the Lord. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy at heart. Where's joy? In the heart. And what shall his servants do? They will sing for joy of heart. But ye shall cry for sorrow of heart and shall howl for vexation of of spirit. Aren't you glad that you're the first part of this, that you sing for joy of heart? Oh, praise God. He put a song in our hearts. It's the song of salvation. And notice, my servants shall sing for joy of heart. Look at Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Notice this. You serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness of heart. That's where joy is at. And gladness of heart. For the abundance of all things, you will serve your enemy, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and also in one of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron about your neck. That's called depression and oppression until you've been destroyed. You see, the enemy wants to work hard to do what? To get us to the place that we respond to feelings and emotions and we're downtrodden and overwhelmed by life and what life throws our way. But the Lord says, serve me with joyfulness and gladness of heart. For what reason? For the abundance of all things. What, what are those all things? If we have to ask, there's something wrong. He sent Jesus to die for us. 
He sent the Holy Ghost to fill us. He gave us the name to use above every other name in this life. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's making us the righteousness of God in Christ. He's promised to defend us, to fight for us, to go before us, to be there for us in any time of need. Never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. We've got something to be joyful about. The joy of our salvation being number one. So let's close by revealing the true need for joy. Number one, it's our strength. Look at Nehemiah chapter one or chapter ten, uh, eight and verse ten. Then said he unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. Well, if the joy of the Lord is our strength and the sorrow of heart is our weakness. The sorrow of circumstances becomes our weakness. The sorrow of the enemy's voice becomes a weakness. But if we answer every circumstance, every situation, every challenge with the word of God, then the joy of the Lord. If we answer it with joy, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Anybody need strength tonight? We are told that even the young men, praise God, will weaken at challenges that they face in life. He said, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles, running not weary and walking not faint. So the joy of the Lord produces strength, supernatural strength, power to rise up above the situation. Secondly, it's also true that it promotes health. And I know that we all want health. I can't think of a person here tonight that wants to be sick or sickly, right? Okay, look at the scripture. It tells us in Proverbs 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. This is from the Living Bible. But a broken spirit makes one sick. A cheerful heart. You see why the enemy wants us to have a saddened heart? A cheerless heart? A cheerful heart does good just like a medicine would work. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. A broken spirit makes one sick. So the enemy will do his best to get us down, depressed, oppressed, frustrated, confused, and all that. So our emotions are not to govern our lives. David said in Psalm 133, I believe it is, or 131, no, 131 it is. I've got to be weaned from my emotions as a child is weaned from its mother. Now, I don't know about you, but my emotions sometimes give me problems. What about yours? Do they rise up and want to have their way? Do they want to dictate to your life and to what you do and how you live and how you respond? Did you recently hear of the young woman that was killed through road rage where the guy got out and just shot her? What, 17 or 18 years old? Starting her life because... It was going, I guess it was going into, you know how sometimes when they're doing road construction, it comes into one lane. Well, she went ahead of him. Whatever she, she tried to do, he got out of gun and killed her. Over that. Unbelievable. The emotions of a person not governed by the word of God, by the life of God, by the power of God, just left to run rampant will do destructive things like that. Over Road rage took this young girl's life. It's, un it's unimaginable. But look, it promotes mental health, physical health, 
if we walk in the joy of the Lord. And finally, notice this one. It promotes the glory. Uh, let's go back to this first Peter reference, because this is really what we're talking about here. Man lost his glory when he fell from the presence of God. You realize that man was clothed with glory and honor. Psalm 8 will tell us that when God made man his highest created being above the angels and everything else, he was clothed with the glory of God. So radiant with the glory that neither one of them knew that they were naked. They had no idea what nakedness was. But when they sinned, they became full of shame. When they sinned, they became full of fear. The glory that they once had was stripped away from them. Now they're left to their own shameful look and shameful ways. That's been restored to us. It's on the inside of us we have this treasure, the glory of God in this earthen vessel or this pot of clay. But God wants it to get from the inside to the outside. Why? Because you don't put a light, a candle under a bushel. You hide the light. The bushel is our flesh. The candle is the light on the inside. It's the glory of God on the inside of us. And through our emotions, it will make its way into our actions, our physical actions and demeanor. So this life on the inside, this light, this glory on the inside, God wants to get to the outside of us. But the enemy, what does he want? Keep it under the bushel. Send trials, tribulations, circumstances, this, that, the other thing. Stir up other people to make you angry, upset, and jealous, and the whole gamut of things. Why? To keep our emotions in control, to keep that glory under the bushel. But praise God, we don't have to. He said, if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. What's he mean? If you get your mind renewed to the Word of God, you got the glory in here on the inside, keep a single look at the scriptures and what they say and walk in that the light on the inside will manifest through your emotions and emotional feelings it'll then pour into your physical body and your whole body will be full of light and you'll shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of god everywhere you go people will see your good works and glorify your father in heaven so when people see you not reacting like a natural person would react they're gonna look at you and just say man if that was me i'd knock him in the head but you'll say, but I've got the joy of the Lord in me, and I don't need to do that because my God defends me and fights for me. I'd rather have him do my fighting than myself. What makes you so joyful? I've got the joy of the Lord within me. Okay, so here Peter is saying, look, you've got the glory of God on the inside of you. And whenever you find yourself, let's just say, embroiled in some kind of difficult situation, some kind of trial test or whatever, if you will rejoice and be glad, then the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. How many of you want that tonight? I'd rather walk in the countenance of God's glory than human countenance that's in a fallen state. Amen. So let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. 
We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.